2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. No Jack Manuel, we got with us regular guests, Joe Makar. And Joe, Nets won tonight, 131 115. How are we feeling?
3: Nets did win, and we're feeling good. The shooters came out to play today. Joe Harris, Landry Shamet great game from them, and we'll dive into that.
2: Yeah, Joe, you're right. 51% from three, 21 of 41 from deep. It was, you know, just a rain in threes in Brooklyn tonight. Like you said, we'll talk about that and plenty more. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. But Joe, with this game... Started pretty slow for the Nets. You know, the Hornets came out with some good juice and that first quarter ended 35-29. And to be honest, the starters really didn't play well to start this game.
3: Yeah, the game definitely did start off very slow for the Nets. We've seen this as kind of a common theme for them. It's not something you want to get accustomed to, but we have seen it in the past, especially with uh, DeAndre Jordan starting in the middle. I won't attest all the blame to him, but it seems to be a common theme that reoccurs. Um, But also on the other hand, Charlotte was just making shots. They were making tough looks. And even throughout the first quarter, I think at one point we were down six or nine, and I I thought to myself, look, Charlotte's playing well. They're up what nine after one or six after one. This yep. isn't sustainable. Like this level they're playing at right now, is good, but this isn't sustainable over a forty-eight minute game. And quickly we saw once the bench came in, once you get that front court tandem of Blake Griffin and Claxton start to bring some energy, some juice, some effort, um, the lead just starts to evaporate and turn in Brooklyn's favor.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think at any point we're super concerned, like, oh, the Nets are going to lose this game because Charlotte is super banged up. They're missing a ton of players. Uh, LaMelo Ball, Gordon Hayward, Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, a lot of guys out. And like you said, I think the Nets took their foot off the gas a little bit. This team's young and hungry. They're coming out with some energy and they played hard and the Nets just didn't play good enough defense. And you mentioned DeAndre Jordan, that starting lineup. I saw a tweet from John Schumann, I believe. The worst two-man combination defensively for the Nets is Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan in terms of defensive rating. And to be honest, it makes a lot of sense because the starting lineup had Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, and DeAndre Jordan. And to be honest, it's just too slow. You know what I mean? There's just not enough speed there, not enough rotation. And like you said, when we saw the second unit come in, the likes of Claxton and Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown, you could instantly kind of feel the energy change in the game. And it helped the Nets pick up momentum that led to them dominating essentially the rest of this game.
3: I agree. And with the lineups defensively, it's not necessarily like, okay, these guys can't defend. It's that certain players are better for certain matchups. Like we saw, despite Embiid scoring 39 points last game, DeAndre Jordan did a very good job on him. He was yep. he knew besides one time he jumped, but everyone everyone bites on in the beat fake. Uh, Jordan played well on him. He seemed to know his role. I think the issue with that Green Jordan uh, front court seems to be teams like the Hornets, younger teams that like to run and gun, which yep. is why you see teams like or which is why you see the backups in Blake Griffin and Nicholas Claxton in this case. Those are the guys who are going to be taking charges. And Blake Griffin, Claxton, who's going to be staying in front of quicker guards and Like I said, it depends on the matchup. And in this case, Claxton and Griffin seem like the much better answer for this quick and young, aspiring Hornets team.
2: Yeah, and to be honest, they're probably a better matchup for most of the league because guys are going to be faster and quicker, and there's not as many traditional centers. And like you mentioned, DeAndre plays well against them. But against some of these teams that really get out and run, you saw it tonight. They had wide-open dunks, wide-open shots, and guys like looking around, who do I have? Because everybody needs to get back in transition. That's why I think with the starting lineup, you need to probably have some type of hustle player, you know what I mean? We see Bruce Brown put in great hustle plays, Nick Claxton, Blake Griffin. And as much as we've seen Jeff Green make some of those plays, that's not necessarily exactly who he is. He's happy to do the small things in the roster, but I feel like you need some of those really high energy guys that are just hungry. And that could be a change, possibly, for Steve Nash to make. Obviously, Lamarcus Aldridge did retire, and we'll talk about that at the end of the show. And that had an impact in DeAndre Jordan getting minutes, but. It's definitely something to keep an eye on because it, it's DeAndre's spot to really lose. But if he doesn't play well enough, there's no reason that Nick Claxon or Blake Griffin or even small ball Jeff Green shouldn't take that role from him.
3: Definitely. And with Jeff Green, the issue isn't really so much effort, but it's that's not really his role. Like you said, he's more of a savvy veteran. Like, OK, the get guys up a there in fun. age. <laughs> exactly. He's, the man's 34 years old and he's still yeah. trying to end lives with <laughs> like, he's, he's doing enough for sure. We're, we're not questioning what Jeff Green is bringing to the table. That's just not his role. That's more what you'll see from Blake Griffin. Or, like you said, you just love guys who are willing to put their body on the line and take yep. charges. And Blake Griffin, you see him every 50 50 ball, he's diving on the floor. I kind of understand why they're preserving him on these back to backs now. Like people like to say the man's knees are shot. Yeah, look, watch the game. <laughs> look how many times this man's diving to the court. It's incredible. Yo, can we get him
2: some knee pads? <laughs> no, exactly. oh, really?
3: this man should be playing in like a full hockey uniform. But um, I really
2: love to see it, though, from Blake. I mean, that's one thing. I knew that he was up there in charges to start the season, even not playing as many games. But the amount of hustle plays he's made in Brooklyn, it's just been such a huge impact and really a guaranteed way for yourself to get minutes.
3: Exactly. And as a fan, you love to see hustle. As a coach, as the bench, you love to see hustle from the guys who are in the game. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think Blake is third currently in the league in total charges drawn. And this is when, you got to keep in mind, he sat out like a month. with the Pistons when they were working on a buyout with him. So he probably missed a whole month's worth of games. And to still be in that position is incredible. Not to mention, like I said, he does sit on back-to-backs. So the sample size for Griffin is a lot smaller, but he's still way up there in charges drawn.
2: Yeah. And I think it works out perfectly because he's dealt with a ton of injuries. He's not the same guy he used to be. So kind of reserving some of that energy and juice. Now, when you play him 20 minutes, he has that extra pop. And I guess let's talk about him tonight. You know, 10 points in 20 minutes, three or five from the field, one of one from three, three or four from the free throw line, five rebounds, three assists, two steals, one block. And he caught an oop in this one. And I think I just it's just exciting to see. Obviously, we know the limited amount of dunks he's had over the last couple of years. And it just feels like every time he throws down a dunk, it adds a year to my life.
3: It really <laughs> does. You always see Blake too. He's always you gotta love having the guy, even from a non basketball standpoint. We know he's a comedian, he's a great locker room guy, he's close with the stars. You look at him, he's always smiling. You remember yeah. that one play where he looks over at Miles Bridges. We couldn't really interpret what he's saying, but he's he's just He's just a great personality to have on top of what he brings on the court. And in terms of what he brings on the court, um, I think he's just becoming smarter with age. Like, it seems like he's not really trying to do too much. He understands, okay, post up, try to spin, get to the rim. Um, If they bring a double, I'll find a shooter. His passing is an underrated aspect of his game, especially for a big man. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge was the same in that sense, but obviously we know what happened with him. So Blake's passing... Uh, Out of the post, Blake's post ability, which kind of brings a unique aspect to this Nets team, I feel like that's going to come in handy, especially come playoff time when you know what Kyrie Harden and Durant are going to do. I mean, you still can't stop them, but you kind of know what they're going to do. Now you throw in a little wrinkle to the opposing team. How are we going to guard this? They now have Blake Griffin in the post
2: yeah and with Aldridge being out now this is really their only true five out option you know what I mean like you could play Jeff Green small but Blake literally has a size to bang with certain centers in this league gives you a little bit more on the boards and like you said feels like he's getting more comfortable with his teammates I think an under underrated aspect of his game like you mentioned is passing but combined with his ball handling very comfortable with the ball in his hands and you typically see a lot of bigs kind of nervous up there where he can help just make some plays off the dribble handoff you know we saw Landry Shaman benefit from that a lot tonight as well so Really happy with the play of Blake Griffin, and like you said, the Nets might be counting on him coming the postseason. He could play some type of significant role. I don't think it's going to be anything more than twenty minutes, but still, that's a good chunk of time when it comes to the postseason. But Joe, let's talk about Kevin Durant because I mean, this is just guys just incredible to watch play basketball. Twenty-five points tonight, eight to twelve from the field, three of five from deep, six to six from the free throw line, three rebounds, eleven assists for KD, and one block. To be honest, I had no idea about the eleven assists watching the game. It just goes to show you how. He just he just plays in such a rhythm. You know what I mean? It just never feels like he's like out of place. He knows exactly kind of what he wants to do as he's kind of getting back and shaking off that rust.
3: Exactly. And I think we use the word rust, as you said, very, very loosely because yeah. there, there almost seems to be no rust, which is Maybe incredible. just, like a
2: couple chips. Like,
3: <laughs> yeah. A couple missed shots here and there, but like, what did he shoot? You said uh eight to twelve
2: from the field, three to eight to of of twelve,
3: sixty-six percent. Like this man. Let's go through the timeline really quickly. (laughs) Missed two stretches due to health and safety protocols. Came off a torn Achilles before that. A hamstring injury that kept him out for seven weeks. Like The fires of hell can't stop Kevin Durant from getting to his spots and scoring. And when he gets there, it's just so effortless. Like Just rises up above him. Okay, you're in my face. You're smothered on me. I'm seven feet tall. I could fade away and hit this effortless shot that looks like me shooting on my mini hoop. But this is a grown NBA player. Like, we'll never get tired of watching Kevin Durant, like watching him suit up for the Nets every night. And he's just going to be a huge problem to stop come playoff time.
2: Yeah, I mean, the three-point shooting is ridiculous. You know, the, the he only had three threes tonight, but it felt like all of them were like heavily contested or just shots where you really Step can't defend it. them. Yeah, exactly. that's when he steps into a 3 in transition... I'm not sure what you really can do other than hope he misses it because you saw McDaniels tonight. He tried to contest. He ended up fouling and if he doesn't contest like that, it's an easy shot for Kevin Durant and then if he overplays him, you know, coming down he's giving Katie Elaine to the rim and we talked about the 11 assists. So it's just like I'm not really sure how you defend Kevin Durant in certain situations. It's more so about him missing the shot rather than your defense because he's just that good at his height. It's really just incredible and like we said, you know, there's still a little bit of slight rush. You can see in it four turnovers again, not necessarily great but my man this this guy is just so skilled at basketball it's just literally a joy to watch
3: you said it perfectly i mean we will never see a scorer like kevin durant we'll see similar molds and forms of like a brandon ingram or not sure if you've watched this kid yet but imani bates the kid who just won high school player of the year as a sophomore like he's drawn comparisons to kd but there will never be another kevin durant like the way he makes it look so effortless the efficiency he does it on that's yep. that's the amazing part to me this man like i said he'll miss 7 weeks come back and shoot 65% from the field against yeah. like a good team in most cases like this is incredible and like you said it's a matter of pick your poison like we could step up on kevin durant in transition he's going to blow past us or if we sag back a little he's going to pull up and hit that same shot he hit in the finals in 2017 and 2018 that really sealed the deal Uh, when he was with the Warriors. So in this case, you got to add the talent of Harden, Kyrie, all these shooters you got on the roster now. Uh, Joe Harris, Landry Shamit, Jeff Green. Durant is, he's working with options and he's going to be looking great come postseason time.
2: I mean, there was a certain lineup they ran out there was Kyrie, Landry Schammett, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Blake Griffin. And I mean, There's really no way to defend that lineup to an extent because if you send the double, KD's gonna find the open man and we saw him kind of find Joe Harris out of the post. Why don't
0: we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: and three and the nets were clicking from deep tonight so I'm really not sure what you do and sometimes the offense is so simple for the nets throw the ball to Kevin Durant let him go to iso if if they're going to send a double team, we have shooters on the floor. We can make those plays, and we saw that tonight. So it's just going to continue to be something that's incredible to watch, and it's even going to get better as he gets more comfortable with his teammates. Teammates get more comfortable with him. You're just going to see next-level of offense, and, I mean, 25 points in 30 minutes. This guy's averaging close to a point a minute. Maybe he's at that level right now since he's been back. But Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.
0: Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
2: Talking about another guy who is just straight Fuego mode tonight, joe harris you know a little bit of a slow first half i thought offensively and defensively second half he came down and played great you know led the nets in points tonight 26 points 8-12 from the field 6-9 and from 3-4-4 from the free throw line two rebounds one assist three steals and not to mention a couple of those threes were like step back side step threes yep. joe harris was in the bag tonight he was feeling good
3: joe harris had it all going on today and You know, it's it's for our boy, Jack Manuel. Couldn't be here today, but you know he's watching that masterpiece at work right now and just drooling over the masterpiece performance we saw from Joe Harris. Like you said, I think we saw a little bit of a different aspect to Joe's uh, three-point shooting today. We saw a little sidestep. We saw him utilizing the pump fake a little more. Um, You even see him taking guys off the dribble, which if you watch Nets games, you will know that this is a common occurrence. But if you don't, You might be a little surprised, like, oh, this guy's not just a shooter. No, Joe Harris is more than a shooter. It's the most—Nets fans will say that till the day we die, but it's true. Um, Joe's
2: Jack actually might have it tattooed on him.
3: (laughs) Definitely, without a doubt. Joe's offensive game has really evolved over the years. I can't believe this guy started off in the G League. And just look at what he's doing with this stacked Nets roster. And obviously, we haven't seen him play with the big three a ton, but— like you said earlier, when you have these lineups with multiple shooters on the floor, it's very difficult to stop as an opposing team's defense. Like, one thing I'd like to see when the big three is healthy, I want to see a lineup of Kyrie, James Harden, Joe Harris, Landry Shamet, and Durant. Just very small, but every guy can shoot. You have playmakers on that court, and the spacing is out of this world. I'd just like to see it one time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's crazy idea i mean we thought about seeing kevin Durant at a uh, center for a little bit you know this season so could definitely be something that pops off for different stretches out there i mean it's gonna be very fun i'd like to see joe harris though continue to shoot some of these sidestep threes some of these step back threes the contested ones because this becomes another weapon for the Nets because, you know, in these game the game against Philadelphia, they did a good job of kind of pushing him off that line. If he adds this element to his three-point game, now it's just that much harder to take him away, especially when the big three is, you know, fully healthy and locked and loaded out there. So like you said, you know, Joe Harris is going to be a guy that benefits greatly playing with that big three, but I guess his counterpart, his fellow sharpshooter on the team, Landry Shamit was cooking tonight too, 20 points, 7 of 14 from the field, 6 of 11 from three, Shamit was in the bag too, Joe, and I know you're very happy about this.
3: Definitely. I'm one of the few people who believed in Shamit in January when the man was shooting in the 20s from three and really looked out of rhythm. Um, But Landry Shamit has pretty much been what we've expected him to be in the past month, maybe two months. Uh, Pretty much this guy that we gave up the 19th pick for, this is who Marks thought he was getting, and this is who we're finally seeing on the court. Landry Shamit has always been a sniper. He started off the year very cold, I understand. I understand this is a title team and maybe we have a little less patience with some of the role players, but at the same time, Landry Shamit, along with Joe Harris, who just happens to be a better shooter, but Landry Shamit is a rhythm shooter. All shooters establish a rhythm. This is whether you're pro or whether you're nine years old playing in the park. Everyone establishes this rhythm where you go through stretches of hot and cold streaks. And for Shamit, I think he's just peaking at the right time and you pray that he can really carry this momentum into the playoffs, because if he does... Um, this is, like I said, shooters galore. This is going to be a very dangerous team to stop. And we've seen Shamit come up big for the Clippers in the playoffs in the past. And who says he can't do it with Brooklyn now, especially with this talent he's surrounded with?
2: Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you easily could bring off the bench, you know, not necessarily playing big minutes in the postseason, but comes in, knocks down three threes, and that might change the game. And I think, you know, Shamit's been pretty impressive in terms of his, you know, dribbling, playmaking, to having those backup point guard duties, especially he hasn't necessarily had to do it much of the season with these injuries, he's had to step into that role. And I thought he did a pretty nice job of that tonight and in some of the previous games too. So Shamit's kind of even giving us a little bit more, more than a shooter as well in his case too. So, you know another piece for that bench and just another weapon for the Nets to have moving into the postseason. But Joe, who do you want to talk about next?
3: Um, Real quick, just to touch on Shamit again, you see, like you mentioned, the playmaking abilities. Shamit has always been a playmaker. Like when he was in college at Wichita State, he played point guard and Fred VanVleet played too. I believe they were there the same year, if I'm not mistaken. But we've always known Shamit had it. But when he got to the league, I guess the league kind of viewed him more as a shooting guard and valued that skill set a little bit more. But we've seen that it's kind of, it comes at a key time, his playmaking, in the sense that, yeah, our team is mostly healthy, but look who's out. We're missing four guards, for goodness sake. We're missing Dinwiddie, Tyler Johnson, James Harden, and Chris Giozza. So it just comes at a really perfect time at that uh, matter.
2: Yeah, and I think different opportunities throughout the year, and even with the Clippers a little bit, he was able to develop those point guard skills to the NBA level. For Just in my eyes and the eye test watching the season, his handle looks a lot tighter than it did beginning of the year. A couple passes I still think he needs to clean up on, but point guard's definitely a position that it's hard to play if you're not getting reps there on a regular basis. So hopefully it'll be something that kind of benefits him. But who do you want to talk about next, Joe?
3: Let's see. Who did we not talk about? Maybe Jeff Green? Yeah,
2: Jeff Green. I thought, you know, not necessarily Jeff Green's best game in terms of defense in this one, but I felt like when he wasn't on the floor with DeAndre Jordan, he looked a lot better, and that's not to throw shade at DJ. It's just more so about what benefits Jeff Green, who scored 10 points, 4 of 11 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, 2 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 block. And I would say the only other thing I didn't really like from Jeff Green in this game, there was a couple possessions in the first quarter where he kind of was isolating.
3: I was just going to mention that,
2: yep. Yeah, and it's just like, I, I love you, Jeff. You can isolate Certainly. when all the stars are out, but when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are on the floor, you're at the bottom of the list of
3: isolations. Yeah, definitely. Um, if it's like that Utah Jazz game where we rested like everybody, <laughs> yep. go ahead, Jeff. Do go you. work on the isolation. Go practice a few of these moves that you'd practice at your local park. But when you got the stars in the game, it's a different situation. Um, maybe a little less ISO. But besides that, yeah. we know Jeff Green is never... Maybe he just didn't see anything in the play. He's never really trying to do too much, I'd say. Like he is, like I mentioned earlier in the pod, he is that savvy veteran who knows his role and knows how to exceed in it well. And I think with Jeff, we just need to really experiment with these different lineups. If you're Steve Nash, um, this is like a homework assignment with you. You have all these great lineups to mix and match. Like figure out who Jeff Green would be best with. Is he best? Because so far it hasn't been DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Is he best with Griffin? Is he best with Claxton? Is he best as a small ball five maybe in short stints? um but overall not a great but not a bad game from jeff green you know what he's going to give you
2: exactly and i think that's kind of been the consistent theme with jeff green and then you have some some of these big games sprinkled in where he'll drop 20 you know eight boards or whatever it might be so you know consistent jeff uncle jeff's been doing his thing we really touched on deandre jordan we can go back to him real quick eight points four four from the field five rebounds one block one turnover but minus 14, I believe the only net other than the guys who played in garbage time that finished with a minus in the plus-minus category. And like we kind of discussed early on, just some of the effort from him defensively early in this game and the lack of communication and the lack of rotation that really sticks out.
3: Definitely. And as I did mention earlier, I do think it's he's partly a victim of the matchup again. Like, it does depend. He seems to guard the Embiid's and Giannis as well, but guys like Miles Bridges or... Bismack, Biombo even yeah. guys who are a little bit more mobile or a little more, I don't want to say versatile because Embiid and Giannis are very versatile. But like yep. guys who add like a different dimension, especially stretch bigs, I find stretch bigs seem to be his kryptonite, like in the sense that once he's switched onto the perimeter, it's a little bit more of a problem. But DeAndre and I Jordan, think also,
2: Joe, not to cut you off, for no, some of good. the bigger matchups. He gets yes. up for them, where it's like, oh, you know, this is a G League player, somebody who hasn't played big minutes this season. Exactly. I don't it really might care. Be a
3: respect thing for a long
2: time. <laughs> Yeah, to be honest, and it, it kind of seems that way because it's just a lot of energy and effort stuff for Deandre because it's frustrating because obviously some of it is matchup related, like you said, but some of it's just like, and that came against Philadelphia. The dude was getting up like two feet for his rebounds. You know yeah. what I mean? You can just see the extra pop in him.
3: Exactly. Um, hopefully, come postseason time, he realizes, hey. <laughs> These games are worth a lot more. These games are nationally televised. Um, in the meantime, you know what DeAndre is gonna give you. I wouldn't say terrible defense because it comes in stints, but we'll say below average defense, maybe. Yep. Um, lobs and dunks galore. Like this man's gonna get the dunk of the game yep. almost every game. <laughs> Highest field goal percentage in NBA history. And then besides that, just like as we know him as the roller and the pick and roll, pretty much.
2: And I think just for the Nets, it's just play him unless it's like a matchup with, as you said, some of the bigger bodies, some traditional centers. You don't play him the first six minutes of the first quarter, first six minutes of the third quarter, and that's about it. You don't necessarily need him to be out there and come out and close the game. It's just giving us that little bit of stint of time because there's other guys who can play better and have a bigger impact. Even a guy like Nick Claxton, zero points tonight, 0-1 from the field, 0-1 from three, did have nine rebounds, two assists, two steals in a block. So it's just like claxton out there you can feel his impact especially for what the nets need they need that defensive plus those energy plays and that's what you get from nick claxton and he's going to make mistakes he made plenty of mistakes tonight but he's going to do it at extremely high level with a ton of energy
3: definitely and i feel like we can maybe compare this to what was happening in miami a couple years ago when hassan whiteside was still starting and bam Adebayo was coming off the bench i feel like that's a great comparison for the situation It's not that DJ can't play. I know DJ is a very polarizing name within Nets world, but DeAndre Jordan is just not the same player he once was. That doesn't mean he should be, especially now that LaMarcus Aldridge is retired, that doesn't mean he should just be stripped from the rotation. But I like the guy in short stints. Like you said, play him six minutes in the first, play him six minutes in the third or so, and then, okay, if he's playing well that game or if the matchup favors it, Playing maybe a couple more minutes in the fourth. I wouldn't say close just yet, but yeah,
2: he. I don't think he can really yeah. close any lineups other than maybe a Joel Embiid one, and even yep. then, it's the real thing with DeAndre is his rotations are terrible or they're non-existent. You exactly. know what I mean? You'll it's see a
3: little bit. You, you got it.
2: Yeah, you see players out there like Jeff Green will look at him and be like, bro, like, what are you doing? Like, where it's clearly Jeff Green is already in position to defend this guy, and DeAndre is trying to switch onto him instead of running out to the three point line. And like you said, he doesn't like to get on the perimeter, but this is, you know, 2021. There's a good chance that four out of five players in the opposing team in that lineup that's on the floor are shooting three. So you're going to have to rotate. And it's those second effort rotations that you don't see from him that make him so hard to play.
3: Exactly, and I would like I said, it's pretty much just knowing how many minutes to play him. DeAndre yep. Jordan at the beginning of the season was getting a ton of minutes, like thirty a game because the Nets only big men at the time were down horrendous, yeah the, the Net's only big men were DeAndre Jordan and Reggie Perry, who I like I think he's going to be a decent player in this league one day, but he's developing like this is the fifty seventh overall pick who we were who was thrusted into action and said, okay here. You are a backup center on a title team now. Like that That's a lot to handle if you're a rookie who's 20 years old. Um, But DeAndre Jordan, like I said, now that we have Nick Claxton healthy, now that we have Blake Griffin into the mix, now that we know, okay, Jeff Green could play some small ball five, KD could play some small ball five, um, you'll see Jordan in lesser stints, in which case I feel like he can make a bigger impact because he won't be out there like, okay, 30 minutes a game, that's way too much. This isn't 2014. So yep. play him smaller roles and let him let him strive in those small roles he plays.
2: And make him earn the minutes. I think that's exactly. one thing Steve Nash needs to do too. Is like, if he comes out and plays terrible to start the game, I wouldn't be opposed to a quick benching. Like I would be like, hey, you know, two minutes in, you've blown three defensive assignments get on the bench. If you want to play, you're going to have to play better than that and make the high energy plays. Like every player makes mistakes and that's fine, but you have to do it at a high effort level, not just kind of laxadaisical. you know, just looking like you're wearing Tim's on the court, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, mo- reference. Yeah. Moving on to Bruce Brown, who never looks like he's playing with Tim's always playing with high energy. You know, we had nine points tonight, four or seven from the field, four rebounds, six assists for Bruce Brown and plus 24 tonight. I think Bruce, some of those high energy plays, especially against a team like Charlotte, they pop out a little bit more. And I thought this was a solid game from him.
3: Yeah, definitely. Especially Charlotte, even with LaMelo out, even with Devontae Graham out, Charlotte is still a team we saw tonight with very quick guards. Like both of the Martins, they
2: play <laughs> super not, hard.
3: I'm not going to lie. I, I don't watch them often, but those Martins are quick. Like you remember yeah. that one bullet pass? I don't know if it was Katie yeah. or Cody. I was like, oh my almost
2: took God. Katie's head off.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Teams with quicker guards are going to seem to have like a little bit of an upper echelon, upper advantage on the nets, and I feel like that's where Bruce Brown really comes in handy. Yep. On the offensive end, not going to give you a ton, but he's going to give you production. He's going to give you transition finishes, that little push shot floater that we know he's patented at this point. Um, just a guy who, you know, once Durant's double teamed, if Bruce Brown is in the lane, hey, that's a high-quality shot. This is a guy who could guard your best player. This is yeah. a guy who's, hey... Come playoff time, he's going to be, I think, a pretty key contributor.
2: Yeah, I could see him being a little bit more matchup dependent, but like you said, the Nets are going to need somebody to throw out a guard that's hot. You know, if you're going up against, let's say, trying to think about who's a, a
3: Bradley really good... deal in the first yeah, round.
2: Yeah, let's just hypothetically say they get into the play, and that's the first name that popped the yeah. mind, but I was trying to <laughs> like, eh, I don't know if Wizards are going to get there, but let's <laughs> hypothetically say they do. That'd be a guy you want to throw at Bradley Beal. I think also the key with Bruce Brown, Jack and I usually talk about this a decent amount, is like, having a lineup that helps unlock him, you know, playing with DeAndre Jordan has been a struggle for him because there's no space in the paint, but Jeff green at the five, that's good for Bruce Brown. You know, Blake Griffin at the five, that's good for Bruce Brown, because like you said, there's room to cut inside. So
3: exactly. It's about, yeah, he's been on record for saying that, Hey, I don't play well and it's not a knock on DeAndre, but he just doesn't play well with him because DeAndre isn't a perimeter player. He's going to stand in the middle and clog the paint. So you want to run him with a Jeff green, a uh, Kevin Durant, a uh, Nick Claxton, just anyone who might be playing a little bit outside.
2: Yep. The team that just has to respect them out of the paint, where no disrespect to DeAndre Jordan, it's never been his game. No one's going to care if he shoots 10 threes in the game. But uh, <laughs> moving on to TLC, we saw him play, you know, an okay game. I didn't think he had any critical mistakes in this one. Two of five from the field, which translated to two of five from three. Good to see him hitting multiple takes from deep. Not a bad game, but I think in the shortened role, it's kind of the benefits. TLC. We don't have to see him out there a ton. He doesn't have a lot of pressure to make plays. Just hit the open threes if you can.
3: Definitely. Um, When I talk about polarizing, there's no (laughs) more polarizing player, and that's history, than Timothy Lwawo-Cabarro, or as Blake Griffin said, your name is a nightmare.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I agree. (laughs) um, That's why I keep it the TLC.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but uh, TLC in short stints, if he's knocking down shots, that's always been the issue with them, as blatantly obvious as that sounds. I know I'm not saying anything crazy he just missed his open shots like he gets yep. great great looks that some of the fans in the stands would knock down for goodness <laughs> sake but he just doesn't hit them tonight i thought he played a decent game not great but not a bad game
2: yeah and i mean in a small role and in some of that being in garbage time whatever that's the role he's going to have in this team as everyone gets healthy he's not going to see minutes so it's really not that big of a concern um any other things that stuck out from tonight's game joe
3: um maybe limit the turnovers a little bit. I know sometimes, like I said, when you're working with different lineups, it's kind of tough, especially Nash at this point. You got Blake Griffin entering the buyout. You got guys hurt all year. Um, You have just all this adversity. It's amazing if you look at the Nets timeline this year. You had the Harden trade in January. You had Kyrie missing games where nobody knew where he was for two weeks. All the adversity Nash has been through in just one year. Like, the man is oh my god, he's gonna age like Obama.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean nineteen turnovers tonight or eight eighteen turnovers tonight, nineteen for the Hornets, like you said, something you want to keep down. A lot of them were just kind of on forced and the team not playing with that energy and engagement they need to. So something to clean up, especially when your offense is clicking like this, fifty-five percent from the field, fifty-one percent from three, had eighteen fast break points, fifty in the paint. Just the Nets are really cooking offensively. And against a team like this who's missing a couple players and they're not necessarily one of the best teams in the league. The offense is going to be enough. But against some of the better teams, you're definitely going to have to turn up that defense. But I guess, Joe, let's talk about Lamarcus Aldridge and the retirement. Obviously, we got the news yesterday via his social media accounts, that he was dealing with an irregular heartbeat in the game against the Lakers, and that really threw him off. And he's dealt with a heart issue, I believe, his entire career as well. So there was some concern about him medically being on the court, and he made the decision to retire and you know make sure he's safe and he can spend time with his family, which obviously we respect and wish him the best. And even it was such a short time in Brooklyn, I really enjoyed watching him play.
3: Definitely. And LaMarcus Aldridge, at the end of that note he penned, he wrote something to Brooklyn. Obviously, most of it was to Portland and a little bit to San Antonio because, because of just tenure. It's common sense. Yeah. He's not going to write this whole heartfelt thing to Brooklyn. But at the end, he did write this little note, and I don't know it off the top of my head, but he said something along the lines of, Brooklyn, thank you for taking me in and basically accepting me for who I am in a game that's changing so much. And we saw that this is what Marks and Nash kind of talked about when we did acquire Aldridge at the end of last month. They said, hey, we know this is like a shooting league, and... Your heavy style of post-ups, which he's patented and known for, is kind of like on its way out. But we want you to come in and be you. We want you to play that post-up game that we know you excel in. And credit to LaMarcus. He's obviously from a basketball point of view, as a Nets fan especially, it it definitely hurts, we're not going to lie. But at the same time, we do realize this is much bigger than the game of basketball. This is about a man who's honestly one of the more respected veterans in this league you won't find a person saying anything bad about LaMarcus Aldridge. And if they do, they're just an NBA Twitter troll account. But um, credit to LaMarcus, incredible career, third all-time, not all-time, I bet, third amongst active players in field goals behind LeBron and Carmelo Anthony, five-time All-NBA. You know, the stats, the milestones, and just the human being he was just speak for itself. And honestly, like you said, a very short stint in Brooklyn, but... Hey, some memories to say the least. And we wish him nothing but the best, like, in the future. That goes for him, his family. And it's just been a joy to watch him, not only with the Nets, but just over the NBA in the past 15 years.
2: Yeah, I mean, a great career. And, I mean, he was a player during his prime where it felt like if you defended him, it didn't really matter because <laughs> he was just constantly hitting that fadeaway over yep. bigs on a regular basis and really skilled offensive big. And you come to think maybe if he was in the league – you know, like 10 years later, he would even have a bigger career because he'd probably be a little bit three more three-point dependent. So, like you said, a great career. Wish him the best with him and his family, and hopefully he's 100% healthy. And like you said, you know, it, it sucks because he was just starting to fit in. And to be honest, I'm not trying to criticize DeAndre Jordan, but he was taking DJ's minutes, who's been one of the weakest links of the team this season, and giving them a different skill set with even more offensive pop that... When everyone is healthy, if that lineup was on the floor with just the likes of Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and let's say Joe Harris, I mean, offensively, that is just straight deadly. Sucks we're never going to get to see that, but it's something we could always mess around with in 2K. <laughs> but in terms of the impact that it's going to have on the Nets moving forward, does this change your viewpoint in terms of their likelihood of winning a championship and the success they're going to have? Like, if you gave me a percent and how much it impacted your viewpoint on that, what would it be?
3: Percentage is tough. I would say it definitely impacts it because obviously Lamarcus Aldridge, even at 35 years old, is still a force. He was still giving you like 13 to 15 a game in yeah. the role he was playing. Um, I thought his biggest aspect was his ability to obviously post up, which he's been doing his whole career. But his passing ability really surprised me. Like when they bring a double, of course this is the perfect opportunity for this was the perfect opportunity for him because you have shooters galore and you got stars next to you. And I know people love to say like, oh, LaMarcus Aldridge is washed. He's washed if he's in a number one or two role. He was going to be our fifth, sixth, maybe even, yeah, I'd say fifth or sixth best player. Um, and he just knew his role and knew how to excel in it, which is what you love seeing on a championship contending team. Um, I would say, like I said, to get back to your point, <laughs> it does affect the Nets title odds, but I don't think it's that drastic to the point we should be panicking and saying, look, like, that's a devastating, devastating blow. You still have Kyrie Harden, Durant, Blake Griffin, Nick Claxton, Jeff Green, Joe Harris. The list goes on. And come playoff time, I think the Nets actually had a good problem to have, but you only go about eight, maybe, maybe nine deep. But most of the time, it's seven or eight deep. So I feel like, hey, the rotation is a little more concise now. There's not really a question now who's going to be playing in the playoffs. They do get an open roster spot, but... Personally, the options don't look super intriguing to me. <laughs> yeah. If I'm being honest, in terms of a value rotation player, you're going to find maybe they get someone at the end of the bench. But like I said, we do wish Aldridge the best of luck. And the Nets' rotation going forward is a little more clear in the front court now.
2: Yeah, I think for me, it's somewhere between 5 to 10%. No disrespect to LaMarcus Aldridge. I think at the end of the day, playing him in the playoffs, he would have been exposed a little bit more defensively, especially having to rely on that drop coverage. So it would have been That's like, it. hey. Who am I going to play? Am I going to go with the offense or go with the defense? And I think this might force Steve Nash to play Nick Claxon a little bit more, which I think creates a little bit more balance in some of the lineups, especially because they're so offensive driven. Like how much offense do you really need when you have Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Joe Harris? You know what exactly. I mean? That alone you could play – you know Tony Allen, Bismack Biyombo guys like that that have no offense and you're still going to have one of the best offenses in the league. So there is some different, you know, looks that you could have had with LaMarcus Aldridge, some different counters where you still have that big body and you still have the five out option with the three-point shooting and like you said just a skilled basketball player. You know, he just can pass the ball, he can finish inside, he has nice footwork, comfortable with it in his hand. So it sucks and it what could have been and but at the end of the day, he did what's best for himself. And I think the Nets are still in a fine position where they're still going to dictate if they win or lose a championship. It's not like they don't have enough talent to do that. That was just kind of maybe a little bit of extra icing on the cake that wasn't necessarily necessary.
3: Exactly. It's a little bit of like, here's your extra dessert. You yeah. already have your cupcake, but here's a little piece of cake. And now, yeah. hey, and here's a cookie
2: and some tea. ice cream. <laughs> exactly.
3: But um, I think we're forgetting another name that while it hasn't been guaranteed, there's a definitely yep. an increasing chance he might be back for the playoffs Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, yeah it's if you watch him on Instagram he's he looks in great shape his workouts are intense and oh boy if he comes back this is going to be another wrinkle to the Nets offense that not only Steve Nash has to figure out but on the more bigger scale the opponent now has to game plan like okay they're going to have at least one all-star at least and dinwiddie on the court pretty much at all times it's either going to be two to three all-stars or maybe harden and dinwiddie if he comes back so hey things are looking up in nets world and if you're getting that production from your one to four i don't want to say it doesn't matter but that definitely lightens the load of what you should expect from your center position which at this point is probably i want to say a weak link but definitely the net's weakest link.
2: Yeah, I think also you look at it from Spencer Dinwiddie and what he can provide. He's an initiator. He can drive the basketball with the best of them, get to the free throw line a ton. This is another player that can provide you a lot of different elements of the team. You know, I... We heard from Sean Marks before the game, like you mentioned. He and he said, you know, the quote is, I would never bet against Spencer Dinwiddie. We saw four years ago with him. He has a chip on his shoulder. He exactly. loves to prove people wrong. And But Sean Marks did also stress that long-term health is a priority. But if he is fully healthy and they can find some type of group with him, I mean, the Nets are really just up a tier. Like, he's that good of a player. Like, he's a fringe all-star player that has a great understanding of who he is in the NBA. So if he can get healthy and back on this team – It'll be incredible. I think the Nets are still pretty conservative, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's almost 100% health. They still held him out. But exactly. I would I would love to see him on the bench alone just for some of the interactions that he'll provide the, the Nets players and us as fans just to see him out there. So we did also get an update on James Harden where Sean Marks mentioned that he has about two to five days of more intense practices, and we could possibly see him back on the court. So it looks like we'll see James Harden most likely within a week.
3: Hope that's the case. Uh, what is it now? April 16th. It's been... I think it's been two months now since we've seen the big three all together. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of like a musical chairs game. Yeah. Of, okay, which star is playing this game? And one leaves, and now another one is coming back, and you, you just want to see them all together. As Nets fans, like, I haven't been to a game in a while, but as paying fans, you want to see them together. As fans who just want to see some chemistry evolve yep. before the playoffs, so this narrative could kind of die already. <laughs> You just want to see the team play together. You want to see them knowing where to find each other in each other's spots. knowing, And they've only played seven, technically I say six, because I don't count that Raptors game where D- Durant was playing with the NBA and uh, leaving in the third quarter and then coming in. I don't count that game. So technically, the big three have only played six games together. They're five and one, but that's a very small sample size. You want to see what the team could do when healthy.
2: Yeah, I think it'd definitely be interesting to see them all out there together because this is one of the most offensively talented big 3s we'll ever see. And there's still some question, you know, getting the reps out, getting the Kings south because, you know, guys are going to be in different roles. They're going to be playing off each other. And then other guys in the rotation are also going to have to adapt their roles as well. So it's going to be important for these guys to get reps on the floor, especially so they can be most efficient when it comes to the postseason. And I think also defensively having a better idea of communication, rotations and stuff along those lines. But Joe, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here?
3: Um, That's pretty much it. We look forward to, knock on wood, hopefully one day being a healthy team. Hopefully the injury report looks pretty scarce and bare. Uh, besides that, great win. And yep. let's continue the momentum.
2: Exactly. Obviously, Nets played well in three out of the four quarters tonight. Hopefully we can get a complete game in the next one. But always a pleasure, Joe. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch us on all streaming platforms.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?